So today, um, we're continuing uh, in our series, The Great Awakening. Have you been experiencing some awakening in your life? Have you been experiencing some blessing? Okay, how about different areas awake, maybe in your prayer life? Maybe you've been attuned and seeing how God has been moving in and through your life these last few weeks. Amen. I know, me too, is, it's amazing when you're reading scripture and you're believing that, yes, God, I want everything that you have for me. Speak to me and speak through me. It's amazing the people that he puts in your path. It's amazing the conversations that you'll have when you pray those prayers. Amen. And it keeps you sharp. That's the thing I love most about ministry is it keeps you sharp. The, sometimes the questions that come in, it makes you think, huh, I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I'm going to have to go to scripture about that. And let's see if we can find the answer. And so this afternoon, the title for this message is With Arms Wide Open. With arms wide open. And no, it's not after the Creed song. You know, with arms wide open, now everything has changed. I see Ian in the back. You're jamming back there. But it is, in some respects, just being open to all that God has for us. So in some ways, it's going to be a little bit of a refresher of what we've been talking about, but also a little uh, different. So we're going to Acts chapter 2. And we've really been kind of sitting in the first two chapters because it's an intentional setup. Okay, you've been set up that we're, we're getting things prepared and preparing ourselves to hop into seeing how the disciples, the earlier followers of Christ, the early church, how they burst on the scene with bold witness. And what I want to encourage us with this afternoon, that when we step up, when we believe that all God has for us, and we're there with arms wide open, we will always face potential rejection. We always have potential reaction and the naysaying. Okay? And so let's go to chapter 2. And here we see on the day of Pentecost, Peter, when the followers of Christ, he boldly stands up. You know, he denied Christ at one point that the ascension has happened. Um, be, sorry, before Jesus ascended, Jesus appeared to Peter and restored him. He said, Peter, do you love me? He says, of course I love you, Jesus. He says, feed my sheep. And Peter and the followers of Christ remembered that before Jesus ascended to heaven, he said that you'll receive the Holy Spirit to receive power so that you'll be my witnesses. And so on the day of Pentecost, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about last week how important it is to be filled with the Spirit and receive words in due season. And so Peter receives this word explaining what's going on in their midst, why the tongues and why the, the, sorry, the Holy Spirit's been poured out. And he says, guys, don't worry. Don't go crazy over this. This was all intentional. This was all planned of God. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 25. And Peter recites a psalm in Psalm 110 and Psalm 86. In Acts chapter 2, verse 25, it says, For David says, I saw the Lord ever before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. 
You will fill me with gladness in your presence. That's what I love. The purpose of hope for today is that we be filled with hope and gladness for in him is fullness of joy. And so Peter continues on saying in verse 20, brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. And this is important. Seeing what has to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. And of course, he's speaking about the risen Christ. In verse 32, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore... Remember, Jesus, his very life, the resurrection, it's changed things. The world that they once lived in even moments ago would never be the same. He has changed things. God raised this Jesus. And so therefore, he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has been received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And so Peter is setting the scene. Make no mistake that that Christ that you saw walking around doing signs and wonders, it testified to who he was and what he was all about. And here Peter is saying, not only that, his ascension proves to us that he is who he says he is. When he was on trial, before he went to the cross, the, the council was claiming, like, are you the son of God? And Jesus at one point said, well, that's who you say I am. And so as he told his followers, and they realized, like Peter said, that you are the son of the Most High. And so we see that Peter has declared emphatically that this Christ who is ascended is the same one that you crucified. The same one who is now at the right hand of God so that he could pour out what is promised. And he promised forgiveness of sins through repentance and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. But he didn't stop there. The people in the crowd, they realized this. They had like a eureka moment, Isaiah. They had the moment like, oh my goodness, Peter, what must we do? Have you ever had those moments when you're talking to someone, you're sharing your testimony, and you're sharing how Jesus has walked you through paths that only he could do, and you start sharing that story and that, that light, that hope, that refuge. And if they ever said, well, I want what you have, what must I do? And I gotta love this answer. Peter gives the crowd in attendance. They said, um, What should we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And so with this passage, where we're parking here is to stress the importance of with arms wide open. 
They heard this message being declared, and these people wanted everything. They wanted to have their life a part of this. They wanted to immerse themselves in this Christ who indeed had risen with arms wide open. And we see a great number turned and believe. And so we see here in chapter two, there's a conversion experience. Now, I'm not going to say that there's a specific order in which the conversion takes place. We all have our stories. We all have our testimony. Some would hear and believe upon the name of Christ and be filled with the Spirit. Sometimes evidence with speaking in tongues and prophesying. And we're going to get to a few of those in a moment. But there, here, Peter lays out that there's repentance for the forgiveness of sins and reception of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does the word repentance mean? I'm sure that you've heard this many times. The word repentance means to turn away from. Here, I believe Peter wants us to realize that there was a crowd in attendance that up to that point had rejected Christ. In fact, many times Jesus said that this corrupt generation would scatter from him. And he said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. And he always said that there would be trouble in this world, that there'd be those who would scatter. There'd be those who wouldn't call on his name, who wouldn't follow him. But we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that anyone who believes in Jesus is a new creation. The old is gone, amen, and the new has come. There's this change. So Peter's laying it out here to the people. What must we do? Well, you must change. You must change your way of thinking. There's a course correction here. You ever been at an event and all the lights go out and all you see are the emergency signs and you're panicking and all of a sudden you see illumination. Ah, there's the exit. That's the way out. And I couldn't help when I was reading through this passage. I don't know, this, this image popped up in my mind. This is the way. You've tried that other path. And Peter, I believe he's saying to the people here, you know the path that you've been on. You know which way that leads. But there's another way. There's a better way. This way out. To experience life in abundance. Jesus said that those who believe in me would experience life and life to the full. And that's this beautiful relationship that we have with Jesus as us being a new creation. There's this inner working power that we sing about, about Jesus being our champion of heaven. The how great is our God, the splendor, the things that he does in his life sometimes are unfathomable. And when we stop for a moment to realize it, just in that, in that moment in time of how that all came together, we can say, my goodness, that was Jesus. But as I said earlier, sometimes when you profess this, when you desire in repentance to give your life completely over to Christ, which is aligning with his lordship as a supreme authority and and ruler, if you will. But again, sometimes there's those in the generation, in our generation and, and, you know, generations represented that don't necessarily want to follow that path. They don't want to take that exit to a better way. They prefer to stay, if you will, in a smoke-filled room. And so we're going to actually go here just for a moment to um, chapter in Mark. Mark chapter 3. 
And the reason why we're going there is in, in, uh, right here when Paul was calling to repentance, he says, be saved from this corrupt generation. And, you know, I was pondering that a lot. I thought, you know, what does that mean? Like, you can look around this world and I could probably write a list of what makes a corrupt or a perverse generation, what have you. But I want to do a little bit of digging. And Bible scholars were saying that this is a label. This is a common title, if you will, to signal. And they write stubbornness, rebellion, or unfaithfulness. So essentially, Peter's saying, you stubborn, rebellious, unfaithful people, when will you get it? This Christ, you crucified him, but he's not holding against you. If you just repent and turn to him, you will be saved and you'll receive the promised Holy Spirit and your life will never be the same. You know, I see we have Jeff Campbell here in the house. Good to see you, Jeff. And I remember back in the day when I was a kid at Full Gospel Fellowship, and I remember one time I asked my dad, I said, Dad, why wouldn't someone want to receive the Holy Spirit? Why would anyone want to tune out the voice of God? And there's a lot of wonderful things my dad has said over me over the years, but he just says sometimes people don't want to hear that loving, corrective voice. Sometimes we just want to go our own way. And I thought of this when I read that, about this perverse, corrupt generation and, and what the Bible scholars were saying, stubborn, rebellious, unfaithful people. And when we have this division, if you will, in our heart of hearts, when we're not fully in and fully immersed in turning and turning to Christ, well, our house can fall, our house can crumble. We won't experience this, this wonder and this, this power in our life through the grace of God. Let's go to Mark chapter 3. In verse 20 it says this, Jesus entered a house and the crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said he's out of his mind. He's referring uh, to a demon-possessed situation. And the scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and he drives out demons by the ruler of demons. So he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he, can, he cannot stand, but is finished. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can plunder his house. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an internal sin. Because they were saying, and here's the reason Jesus gives it, because he has an unclean spirit. Because he has an unclean spirit. And here we see this group in attendance, they want to be stubborn. They don't want to acknowledge what Jesus is doing in their midst. They'd rather chalk it up to the enemy. They'd rather reject the signs. They'd rather reject what is happening and chalk it up to, no, that is demonic. That's of the devil. Do we hear that in today's world? 
I can't tell you the amount of conversations that I have where people want to chalk things up to coincidence or want to attribute things of God to men. Or even worse, attributing evil to God. And that really is blasphemy. And I'm going to read from Luke another, another vantage point of this account of this house divided. In Luke chapter 11, this is after Jesus says, Everyone who asks, receive, and all who knock, the door will be open to you. After this, he says, Now he was driving out a demon that was mute, and when the demons came out, this is, sorry, Luke 11 chapter 14. When the demon came out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, He drives out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. And others, as a test, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. You know, sometimes signs are just not enough for some people. And we got to resist the urge to say, God, I'll believe. God, I'll believe you today if you just show me this. If you just show up. (laughs) He goes on saying, knowing their thoughts, he told them, every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and a house divided against itself falls. This is very similar to what was accounted in Mark, but a little different here in verse 18. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I drive out demons by Beelzebub. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And I got to love that Jesus says it very plainly. But if I am driving out demons, you're saying I'm doing it by the power of Beelzebub. I'm telling you, this demon was released, was removed by the very hand of God, by the finger of God. Sometimes you will always face unbelief. The great unbelief, the blasphemy being like, that's not possible. That's not of God. You know, even when I share stories, and not to put anyone down, just to show we're human, we have these moments, right? Even when I was sharing, even with my own story of, you know, dealing with cancer and other things, I have to give credit to God. I have to say that's the favor and grace of God in my life. My goodness, if you, if you look at the story, if you look at the details, it came so fast, and yet it was dealt with so quickly. It came upon me just... I can't even put it into words, but God was able to deal with it so succinctly and so wonderfully with physicians and such. And I had to believe that was the finger of God over my life. Now imagine for a moment if I had got wrapped up in the circumstance and started laying blame at God's feet. Then I would start to be part of a divided house. A house that wouldn't believe that God is the way maker. And rather I'd become a naysayer. I wouldn't be able to see the grace and favor of God being worked in and through my life. And here we see this encounter. Jesus with the, the, the Pharisees and people in attendance, they just didn't want to believe it. So sometimes we get this impression that in the story in the book of Acts that everyone that heard the message always turned to Jesus. And that wasn't always true. That wasn't always the case, I should say. 
So if it was the case, if Jesus, think about this, the risen Savior who Jesus appeared to the Pharisees and yet they wouldn't believe him, if they had trouble believing in Christ, surely this side of the story, we're going to face trouble too. Sometimes we're going to face those who will outright reject what we have to offer, but we have to stay fast and realize that God is going to take care of the results. All we have to do is plant the seed. Plant the seed. And the important thing is that we allow our house to remain united with Christ. Ever try planting seed um, when you're repairing sod? Yesterday I had a friend over and we were trying to repair a bit of my grass. And you know, it's a very important time this, in this season. You know, God works in seasons. And so October is the perfect time to plant seed. And so we're out there, we're preparing the soil and we're loosening it and we're spreading the seed and, and the right amount so that it can germinate accordingly and we need the rain. We need the rain to come and give water so that there would be growth. And sometimes we're going to cast the seed. Sometimes we're going to plant the seed in people's hearts, but it may not be received in fruition right away. It may take time to grow as we trust the Holy Spirit to give that growth. Let's go to Matthew uh, chapter 12. For a moment here. The goal here this afternoon is just to share just in a, a survey that in the midst of this, this wonder, this testimony of the risen Messiah, that even in their time, that there were those who were rejecting the truth, if you will. So let's go to Matthew chapter 12. Yeah, verse 22. Kind of feels nice turning through a real Bible, some real pages. <laughs> and so the story is very similar in this vantage point where Matthew is accounting this, this um, utterance given by Jesus about a house divided. And we're going to pick it up in verse 28, so Jesus says to the Pharisees, if I drive out demons by the, by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Anyone who is not with me is against me. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, people will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. And I say that not, not to scare us, but just to, just to hone our hearts in this place of humility. Humility is important, Right? We can acknowledge and say, Lord Jesus, I never want to be resisted to your Holy Spirit. Rather to be poised to want to accept all things from you and accept your will on earth as it is in heaven, rather than chalking it up to coincidence, rather than joining in the naysaying and, and, and dismissing the work of God. 
Now, one thing that I found interesting is I was trying to see this similarity between us and the Pharisees. And surely we have the scriptures today, don't we? We can read about the law. We can read about the prophets. The Holy Spirit, we've been given the Holy Spirit just like those in the day of Pentecost. But the major difference that separates us from the time of the Bible, of this encounter, was they had the literal, physical flesh of blood of Jesus in their midst. Think about it. They saw everything he was doing. They heard everything he was doing. And for yet for some, their heart was hardened. And so again, the reason why I'm saying all that is when we have our arms wide open, when we're receptive to everything he wants to do, you bet he's going to show up and he's going to blow the roof off the house. He's going to be able to speak gentle words in season when we're going through difficulties and circumstances. And yet we may hear the taps at the window of the naysaying, kind of like in Noah's day. And I couldn't help but think of that when the rain was outside. I'm like, this is kind of perfect. Think about in the days of Noah where people were going out and about and people were married and given in marriage. And yet one day the flood came upon them. But those who were in the ark were saved. So I want to encourage you that as we live in this place of being saved, as we're on this sweet ride of knowing the, knowing the exit, the off-ramp to the kingdom of heaven, we don't want to be dissuaded by the re- potential rejection and naysaying, but also not to lose heart in continuing to witness. Sometimes, you know, if you, you probably have a few friends you've maybe chatted with, and they've said, you know what, it's just too hard. When I share the gospel, when I share my story, I sometimes I feel like I'm up against the wall. I just want to encourage you this afternoon, don't give up because you never know when that story, maybe it wasn't able to uh, blossom, but you never know when that story that took root at one point in time in their heart, that it'll um, root up and speak to their circumstance in that very given moment. We all have, we've all had those words, haven't we, Isaiah? We have those words that we can cling to in those seasons. And so in this moment, to bring it full circle, on the day of Pentecost, the people are gutted to the core. Oh my goodness, we crucified this guy. We crucified the Messiah, the anointed one who was sent to save the world from their sins. But you gotta love it that Peter didn't hold it against them. And he answered their question, what must we do? Turn to Jesus and you'll be forgiven of your sin. We're all in the same boat. At one point in time, we had to turn. We had to turn and receive what he had for us. It's a journey. It's a process. No one's perfect in this. No one's got this whole thing figured out. But we can be thankful for that Holy Spirit, for his Holy Spirit that binds us together. And so next week, we're going to look at, well, what happens when everyone's in one accord and they're of common mind? We can see how this community is able to come together and work together for the common good and see countless numbers of people coming to Christ. But again, realizing there will always be those who will say no. But we're not responsible for the results. God will give the growth by his Holy Spirit. And so I leave you with this saying. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I leave you with this saying. I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it. I know I've already said it, but fire for effect. (laughs) We want to be in with the waymaker and not a naysayer. Be in with the waymaker and not a naysayer. So as the worship team uh, gets prepared to uh, lead us in uh, responsive worship, I want to read another uh, scripture verse to you, if that's okay. 
And so after Jesus spoke with Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, Nicodemus got it. Nicodemus, he wasn't up against Christ. He wasn't rejecting what Christ had to offer. He wanted to all things. He wanted to be part of the kingdom of heaven. And when Nicodemus was talking with Jesus, he, in the same way, he's asking, what must he do? And Jesus says, I tell you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So I want to encourage this afternoon how wonderful it is that you believe in Jesus. Amen? Because you believe in him, you've been marked with the seal, his promise, Holy Spirit. And so just to make sure there's no confusion, if you're here and you're wondering, have I committed the unpardonable sin? If you can truly deny Christ, if I could truly deny Christ and saying that you're not the son of God, you're not the most high, you're not the Messiah that was sent into this world, you didn't die for my sins. But no, we don't say those things, do we, church? We don't enter into that place of unbelief. We don't enter in that place of disbelief and stay there. That's the difference of staying there outright admission and stating that God, that Christ, he doesn't exist. And so as we sing these words, uh, maybe they're singing all, hang, all hail King Jesus, I'm assuming, maybe, or whatever song you want is fine too. Let's just draw in and press into him as you hear these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. This world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. When we come to the light, who is Jesus Christ, when we resist the urge to reject and chalk it up to mere coincidence, the light is gonna burst forth from the inside of Jesus said, all who come to me, all who are thirsty, I will fill. He said, I'll fill you with my spirit and from within you will flow rivers of living water. Whenever we feel we may be in a dry place, we can call out to Christ and his light will burst forth within us. The streams of living water will overflow and we will be refreshed. I don't know, I had this word today as I was preparing this message that there's someone here today where you just need to be refreshed. It's the only word I had, refreshed. And then when we draw close to God, the scripture says that we will encounter a time of refreshing, right? Because in Christ is fullness of joy. In Christ are rivers of living water. That he'll fill all who come to him. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. Lord, I thank you that no matter what I have penned and even believe that you've put on my heart, I'm thankful that you speak to each of us in and out of season. And so Holy Spirit, I come into agreement with what you're doing, the work you're doing in each person's heart that is here this afternoon. Thank you, Lord, that you're drawing us closer to you. Thank you, Lord, that you're showing us your light. 
as we're part of your kingdom of light and not darkness. Lord, quicken our feet to go into places, to be able to speak your truth, to share your truth and love the testimony that we were once lost, but now we are found. That we can share your grace, your favor that is so wonderful that it can speak and reach into the darkest of situations and circumstances. And Father, when we call out to you, when we turn to you in all things, that not only will we be found by you, that you will pour out your spirit and we we will experience a time and times of refreshing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for this moment in time. Thank you, Jesus.